Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Joined for our weekly Steelers mock draft video by Brian Batko, our Steelers insider, uh, Brian, are you ready to talk some draft talk? This is like the first time I've had you on this particular video. We, we reacted to Arthur Smith earlier in the week, but um, this is our you know new Saturday video that we'll do between, during draft season, recapping all the mock drafts around the internet. It's good to have you on for, for one of these. Yeah, I'm slowly wading into draft territory. I caught a little bit of the East-West Shrine Bowl on Thursday night on TV, but more so than the game itself, which you can't blitz – Obviously, it's it's not even the top all-star game for the postseason circuit. I found myself looking at the crawl on the bottom, which had like the NFL.com mock drafts. And I was surprised to see, I think it's Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks were the ones that they were uh, putting on the ticker down there. They had the Steelers taking the same player, Georgia tackle Amarius Mims. I feel like it's way too early for even a mini consensus of any sort, but I guess that's why we do these to read the tea leaves and talk about all the different uh, scenarios that are running through people's heads. Yeah. Chris and I actually talked a lot about Amarius Mims last week. So if you didn't catch that video, scroll back in the history here on the uh, post cassette sports now YouTube channel, we'll talk a lot about Mims. Um, this week we're going to talk about some, some different guys that uh, we had not to this point, JC Latham from Alabama, Tyler Guyton, who uh, our own Ray Fittipaldo observed Mike Tomlin showing an interest in down at the senior bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Um, we've got an interesting pro football focus mock to break down before we do just want to thank our primary sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Pella windows and doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella who can help you save on energy costs year round, schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella windows and doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella windows and doors of Pittsburgh. Um, Brian, I'm going to start here. Broadly speaking, uh, obviously the big headline of the week in Steelers land is is the hiring of Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator. Does that change the the draft calculus um, that you went into the beginning of the offseason a couple of weeks ago um, thinking, you know, when you're looking at this draft now compared to where you looked at it the day after the Buffalo game, um, how has it changed? How has it stayed the same? It hasn't changed much for me. I just think the the coordinator that you bring in is not – quite as relevant to the personnel that you already have. And it's not like they are reinventing the wheel for their offense with a Cliff Kingsbury type of guy or something like that. I feel like Smith was hired in large part because of how he could mesh with who's already here and how they've been built. So I'm not going to be changing my draft opinions too much on that, except for potentially the position 
that we're going to talk about today. And I can uh, I can kind of get into that as we start discussing some of these post Arthur Smith hire mocks. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that was that was kind of why I wanted to get into some of these offensive tackles. Yeah, I, I don't think it's your question. I don't think it's like okay, now all of a sudden a quarterback moves up. No, I I think that's all sort of uh, you know irrelevant to the uh, to the Smith stuff. Yeah, I think the last couple of weeks I've been talking about corners and tackles, kind of in, in equal measure here. I, I wonder if you know the hiring of Arthur Smith puts a little, just a little more emphasis on on tackles or offensive linemen. Other it, than it that, yeah. a little less emphasis on receiver, just because of his propensity for running two tight end sets. I don't think they would you know draft another tight end high because you still do have a fairly deep and, and young room there. But I guess that would be the only other sort of uh, calculus that could change is just. Based on his personnel usage, it's been heavier tight end, lighter wide receiver, but every good offensive coordinator knows that you've got to fit what you do to the pieces that you have anyway. Let's talk about J.C. Latham. I, I teased him at the top. Um, I, I think he's interesting because I've, I saw him go as high as number five this week. So like right behind the Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr. He was right there with them in one mock draft. I saw him go as low as number 22. He's, he's pretty huge, uh, just like um, Fuaga, who we've talked about a couple times, and Mims, I think it's 6'6", 360. Um, do, do you worry about whether J.C. Latham's going to be there, or do you just look at those three guys and say, dang, I mean, there is a lot of size and a lot of athleticism in this draft that, you know, it, it stands out to me compared to having tracked all the drafts last year. There just didn't seem to be a whole lot of guys that, that fit this category Um you know, and, and now there's seems to be a whole bunch of them in this first round conversation. Yeah, I mean, I will say when you look at uh, you know Arthur Smith's Tennessee Titans offenses in 19 and 20, I mean, they had a massive right tackle in Dennis Kelly. I think he was six uh, eight and then some, 320 pounds. So that's even significantly larger than Dan Moore Jr. and and Broderick Jones, uh, who are already in the mix, and and Chukwukorafor, who I don't think is going to be here, but still, um, you know that. That's an area where the, the Steelers haven't had that kind of massive right tackle since the Zach Banner experiment and you know the the Marcus Gilbert days uh, well before that. So um, you know that that'll be uh, something that I'm kind of looking at is how do you separate sort of that top three other than you know the the Penn State uh, and Notre Dame kids who are probably going to be top teners for sure. Once you get more into the players who could be in the Steelers range, you know Fuaga. Mims and and Latham, you know, how do you sort of separate those three? For me, I'm I'm kind of enamored with the pedigree, uh, given the Steelers situation. You know, you've got a a guy that you know is floor with Dan Moore Jr. I mean, we he's been around, he's been serviceable, okay starter, but somebody that you're always kind of looking to upgrade from. So I'd be more prone to swing for the fences and possibly take a little bit of a risk with a, a younger guy like a Mims or or Latham rather than more of a finished product and uh, Taliesa Fuaga from Oregon State. But all these guys are are excellent. They, they all have good size. There's really no issues there. Uh, but when you look at Latham and Mims, who were five-star, there's just a certain amount of raw talent and athleticism that garners you those recruiting rankings early in your uh, you know relative football career and lands you at places like Georgia and Alabama rather than Oregon State. I've asked Ray this. I'll ask you this question as well. Um, is there any world where you see the Steelers trading up this year, or, or do you think they'd be content to get any one of those three without having to give up any extra capital to do it? 
I don't even know that there's a slam dunk that they're going to go tackle again in the first round. And I, that's why I was, I was kind of surprised that we're seeing so many of the, you know, preeminent names in, in mock drafts, uh, slotting tackles to the Steelers, because while I certainly think it's possible, if you, if you don't know that the Steelers have a comfort level with Dan Moore, then you haven't really been paying close attention. I mean, they just keep running him out there. I, I think they, they clearly don't love him, but they like him. Uh, they, they drafted Broderick Jones in the first round last year and traded up a few spots to get him, but it's not like they installed him right away. He had to you know, work his way up, and then once he did get into the starting lineup, it was over on the other side at, at right tackle. They didn't just kick Dan Moore to the curb to get more Broderick Jones. There was extenuating circumstances there with Chooks Okorafor and the disciplinary measures, but still uh, they, they started more uh, every chance they got at left tackle, except the one that he was banged up. And even after Jones played so well against the Ravens, they went back to him. So I, I think it's just as likely at this point that the Steelers could go defensive line or corner or probably not safety, but we're going to get into that. So uh, I think there's a chance that they go tackle, especially because there's value there at that position, regardless of organization. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to try to get the bookend to Broderick Jones for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think you said my next question, well, which is we know um, that, that Tyler Guyton was one of the, the people that um, Mike Tomlin was giving a closer look at. He um, is, well, where did he go to college? Uh, I don't know if I have that written down or not. I, I want to say he went to Oklahoma. Okay. So um, the big knock on him is that he's not particularly experienced either. Um, he, I think he's, he only started one full season for the Sooners and listen, he's got the size, he's, he's got athleticism. I think he's got a nice package, but there seems to be a, a sense that he, he might be a project type of guy, um, that maybe you, you get in like the second round. Um, do you see the Steelers investing premium capital again there? Cause I don't think it'd be fair to describe broader Jones as a project per se, but during the draft process, there was a lot of commentary that, you know, he's going to take a little bit of time to mature into the, you know, possible 10-year starter, you know, Pro Bowl type of guy. And I think we saw that this year, right? He wasn't, um, he wasn't blowing anyone away. He, he was solid. He, he definitely upgraded things on that side, but he was not the kind of finished product. Do you think the Steelers can afford to have that at both tackle spots if, if they go with, maybe, maybe they say we're going to address one of our other needs in the first round. We're going to get the best available player. Second round, we want to get a tackle, a guy we like, but, you know, maybe he's not quite as finished as some of those first-round guys are. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'd be okay with that because you do have the Dan Moore factor still in there. I mean, you know that there's somebody that 
you're comfortable with. Now, as far as the specifics of could he play right tackle if they want Broderick Jones to move to his more natural spot, you know, that the returns on that have not been very good through his first three seasons. But you know, that's why you have offensive line coach continuity and, and Pat Meyer and, you know, somebody like Moore would need to understand, hey, if I can't do this, that that might cost me a starting role in the NFL, at least for now. So, yeah, I mean, I somebody like Guyton, he's not in that first round mix really for me. I, like I said, I would want to try to take a bigger swing on some of these guys from, um, you know, more pedigreed, uh, you know, programs and, and, you know, Marius Mims is somebody, I mean, he's even less experienced than Guyton and, and Jones was last year, but I mean, there's just the physical freakish tools to him that, that are sort of different, but um, you know, Guyton, it seems like he had a good week down in, in Mobile and, Obviously, if Mike Tomlin is uh, mixing it up with you, that's a good sign. And I, I believe he was a three-star guy coming out of high school. I think he transferred to Oklahoma from TCU. So there's there's probably some some weaknesses still there in his game. But um, yeah, I mean, it, once you get into the second, possibly even third round, um, you know, I'd, I'd be okay with taking a tackle who's maybe not ready to step in right away. Um, some other interesting mocks this week that, we, uh, I mentioned the PFF one at the top. Um, it was by Trevor Sakema. He had them picking Cameron Kinchins, the safety from, um, from Miami in the first round. He he's kind of versatile. He played, you know, a lot of free safety, but he was in the slot a little bit. He, he played in the box a little bit. Um, so he could be used. And, and there's part of me that says, okay, if you brought a guy like that in, Later in the draft, I think you could use him in those those three safety sets the Steelers like uh, to run. But then there's the other part of me say saying you, you found Demonte KZ, you found Eric Rowe, you found um, uh, Keanu Neal, you found all these contributors. It, it was a kind of a, a, peer, a place of depth for you this season. Do you really want to be investing a first round pick in a guy who played primarily at free safety, where you already have Minka Fitzpatrick and? Um, you know, who, who would be probably more of a, a bit player given that. Yeah. I don't love that idea from a sort of big picture team building perspective. We've seen in recent years that the Steelers aren't necessarily married to those never first round philosophies at certain positions. They were fine taking a running back there in Najee Harris inside linebacker and Devin Bush, even a safety in, in Terrell Edmonds the year before that. So they haven't worried quite as much about value and you know what where you should and shouldn't use your high draft capital. But for me, I mean, I Kinchins is one thing I'll say for him that I think Mike Tomlin would would love is you know the ball production. I think he had eleven picks over the last couple seasons, so he he finds a way to be around the ball. He makes plays when it comes to him, and I do think there's a need on this roster for a safety who can be deployed sort of in the way that Minka Fitzpatrick has been so that you can use Minka Fitzpatrick where he's been best in his NFL career in the deep half of the field in the post. You know, that's that's where he made all of his money, literally. It's where he had all those takeaways uh, early in his career. You saw that he was in a more versatile role this year and, you know, no interceptions, uh, a little bit of a down year for him. So I, I think just in, in part of that is situational because DeMonte Casey is also a, you know, prototypical free safety. So, I mean, I think uh, I, I would not be opposed to using one of your early-ish picks on a you know, jack-of-all-trades defensive back, but I don't know if the first round is it for me. I think that's just a little 
a little too steep, especially when you could try to get a long-term upgrade and get somebody on a rookie deal at tackle or D-line where eventually those salaries go through the roof. Unless Brian, and here's a thing I've tossed out there is, is, you know, could you, could you explore a trade with Minka Fitzpatrick knowing a guy like that is available in the draft and, and maybe bolster the draft capital? Maybe you get some more pieces in here, uh, given that he he does have an enormous cap hit and, and it, it is a position that a lot of teams don't invest in. Um, do you think that's a move that could be on the board when, when a name like that is, is available maybe in that range for the Steelers? In video game or fantasy football, maybe. In real life, no. I think they very much view Minka Fitzpatrick as a integral piece of uh, the defense, but on top of that, too, the locker room, the culture in Pittsburgh. His last game was was not good film. I, I, it looked like he was loafing against the Bills. I don't know what was going on with him in the open field in, in some of those uh, instances. Maybe it was a case of rust and coming back from that knee injury. He didn't want to use that as an excuse, but it, it didn't look good. And yet I think they, they certainly aren't going to, you know, cut off their nose despite their face for a possibly, uh, you know, game changing safety in the first round of the NFL draft. Now you already know what you have in Minka. I, I just think that that's, that's not something that's realistic to discuss, even though hypothetically, yes, what would be his value around the league? How much juice does he have? for other teams and could you backfill with somebody who's going to be in that 20th pick range and is productive in college uh I just I don't think that's going to happen yeah I don't I don't get that vibe either Brian I just thought it was worth asking the question while we're talking about safeties is is that is that a move you can make because and, and I you know I mentioned this on a couple of videos Minka Fitzpatrick was on the field during that three-game losing streak that really almost sunk the Steelers put them in uh, the position where they needed help. And then the Steelers go on the three game winning streak without him. And then he comes back in the playoffs and, and has the game that you mentioned against Buffalo. Um, you know, I think it's reasonable for some fans to question, is this worth 25 million in a cap hit? But yeah, I'm, I'm not saying his Q rating is very high right now, especially outside of, uh, you know, the UPMC Rooney sports complex. But I think it's, it's one sort of, you know, iffy year for him. Whereas, you know, he's, he's done a lot more good than than disappointing to this point in his career and uh yeah i mean i think that i think they certainly still believe in in him and uh maybe that some of those stats are, are circumstantial when you look at the opponent um you know the the, the health of the defense around him too although it, it is it is weird their record is was so good this past season when he wasn't playing if anything i guess you could argue maybe that shows a you know, a flaw in the way they're game planning and structuring their defense when they know they have 39 at their disposal and they should, you know, go back to the drawing board and, and assess how they can use him when he's healthy to get the most out of them. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really, you know, if you ask me what I think, find a way, find the ways to let Minka be Minka is, is kind of where I land on, on his future in Pittsburgh. Um, and, and that that's his shortcomings. I feel like are, are probably more structural than, than on him per se. Um, let's get into the rest of this, this mock draft though, from PFF though, because I thought otherwise it was rather interesting. We'll start with a couple of corners. I think, um, he had them going with DJ James from Auburn in the second round and Max Melton from Rutgers in the, um, in the fourth, uh, James is not particularly big. I don't think he kind of checks the boxes that a Joey Porter jr. Did that, um, some of these other corners that the, the Steelers have shown, 
you know, a preference for measurables at that position. I don't think he checks those boxes, but he has some athleticism to him. Max Melton, obviously pretty a pretty solid corner on a solid defense at Rutgers. Um, Greg Schiano, uh, or Greg Schiano defense, which, you know, I, I think he's held in pretty wide regard around the industry. Um, I guess let's focus less on, on the names involved, Brian, and, and more of the question of if you can get a couple of kind of depth corners, does, does that satisfy the need for you? Or do you think that they really need to take a big swing at that position, either in free agency or the draft? I don't know about either one. I, I think that I wouldn't feel like I need to reach for a corner this offseason. And I'll tell you why. Not only do you have Joey Porter Jr. coming back as the unquestioned number one top dog, even if you think Patrick Peterson is over the hill and is going to have to transition to a different role, probably could have mentioned him in the safety conversation too. I mean, he's somebody else who you're, you're not going to ask him to play near the line of scrimmage a lot and be in the box and, and match up with tight ends. So that adds even another layer of um, you know indecisiveness maybe with Minka Fitzpatrick. But you know, at corner, in addition to Joey Jr. returning, let's not forget about a couple guys who the Steelers have waiting in the wings. And I don't want to make too much of them, but they are young. They are going to be second-year players. We haven't seen much, if any, of them in a Steelers jersey uh, for good reason. One would be Darius Rush, who was sort of stashed at the end of the roster, inactive most of the season. But he was a fifth-round pick just last season of the Colts. Now, that's a double-edged sword. (laughs) Why could he not uh, make it in Indy? Uh, Why did he also get cut by, I believe, the Chiefs? Um, But still, the Steelers saw something in him. He was a pre-draft visitor here. He was a converted receiver, 6'2", good length, and he played in a couple games. I think he had a couple missed assignments that probably sent him back to the bench rather than launching him into a, an every-week role. But a lot of the profile sounds like kind of the guys you'd be looking at in this draft. So it, it's sort of a redshirt year for a Darius Rush. You can bring him back to compete in training camp and a roster and for a roster spot in addition to Corey Trice Jr., seventh-round pick last year, another one who fell – because of injury concerns more than his tape or production. And those injury concerns prove valid. He, he goes down in training camp with a torn ACL. He was he never even got a chance to factor into the 2023 defense. But he's been working hard to get back. He's trying to rehab, trying to recover. If he gets back to 100%, I mean, he's somebody else who's going to be uh, you know, worthy of putting in the mix there at six foot three on the outside. Was looking good out in Latrobe before – that uh, significant injury. So let's just not forget about those two as we look at the roster construction and makeup and we speculate on corners, be it free agency or the draft. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the one thing I'd say, Brian, is, you know, neither of those are really proven commodities. And, and if you can add to that group in the later rounds of the draft and, and you, you know, throw some things at a wall and maybe have you, you have three or four guys competing for one or two spots, then yeah, and hey, if there's somebody you really like in the second, then you know, sure, you that 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 might just solve all those issues. But that's my point is just don't feel like you need to reach for that guy because there are sort of some forgotten men there at the bottom of your roster. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of, of getting multiple bodies in here, compete. I mean, that's that's why we love training camp, Brian, right? Is is seeing how those guys are able to stand out and, and that's why we watch the preseason games. So I think corner is definitely a place to watch to see. I think there's all different kinds of ways they could go. Where will they go? Um, 
We're going to talk a little bit about Center here. Before we do, just want to thank another sponsor, Pitt Johnstown. It's a Pitt quality education with up close and personal learning, a top ranked Northeast public college by U.S. News and World Report. Generous scholarships and financial aid are available, located on 655 picturesque acres with easy access to the city center, shopping, and dining. It has a vibrant campus life with an active D2 athlete community, so make sure you check out Pitt Johnstown. Um, Brian, another very interesting pick from this PFF mock was Cedric Van Pran. Um, Van Pran, I'm not sure how you pronounce that name, uh, so if anyone in the comments wants to correct me, go for it. Uh, but he was George's He was George's center, so he kind of checks that pedigree box that the Steelers seem to love so much, specifically that program. They've, they've really um, both scouted and ended up taking a lot of guys from Georgia in recent years. So that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me. I think I wrote down in the uh, printed version of my mock draft tracker, he had the sixth uh, best PFF grade among draft-eligible centers. Um, and in the third round, it, it kind of seems like a pretty perfect match of need and resource to me, Brian. How do you feel about um, you know targeting a center and, and maybe specifically a guy like Von Prawn um, in that range? Yeah, I agree completely. I think third round would probably be the sweet spot. Maybe you're a little bit scarred by the Kendrick Green experiment in, in that exact same round a couple years ago. But I think with that position... Second round might feel a little too steep. Fourth round, you you might end up with uh, a lemon again <laughs> on offensive line. But, I mean, to, to me, that late day two, possibly earlier and possibly later, if, if somebody slips, would be uh, where I'd start looking at trying to find the center of the future. That's that's easier said than done, especially when you aren't you know overdrafting a guy like you could have done with Creed Humphrey in that same Kendrick Green draft, um, but this year it seems like there's a trio of centers who are you know, projecting as possible long-term NFL starters. Our guy SVP from Georgia, who played, of course, with Broderick Jones, Darnell Washington, George Pickens. I'm always a big fan of going back to Athens to, to try to restock your NFL roster, and uh, you, you mentioned some of the numbers there. I believe he did not give up a sack, at least by PFF's charting last season sure a lot of people would say sign me up for that over Mason Cole and then the other two would be Zach Frazier from West Virginia who's down at the senior bowl too but uh, not doing a whole lot because of a leg injury uh, that he suffered in, late in the season and then the the one who seems to be rocketing up uh, the draft boards the most and really increasing his stock in the minds of the O-line gurus is Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon um, we know they had a, a potent offense so clearly they were doing something right up the middle with him and Bo Nix. I just think one of those three guys uh, would, would potentially be an upgrade over Mason Cole. It's just about playing the draft board, which I think Omar Khan did really well last year in his first time around and knowing when to move up, knowing when to move back to sort of uh, fill those holes and get the guys that you want in your targeting through the pre-draft process. What's your sense of um, Nate Herbig and and whether you know he's the type of guy that you could you could look at as as kind of a second option at center if you bring in one of those guys and because I know he's played a little bit there but he he never really got a shot with Mason Cole this season um, if you're if you're planning for the future I think you would like to have a more proven commodity and I think a lot of people would like to move on from Mason Cole because of his cap hit so. Um, are you drafting one of those guys to plug them in immediately and, and kind of throw them in the deep end or, or is the presence of Nate Herbig kind of make that a little bit easier? I, I'm not sure. I don't think it does. I, I'm, I'm going to pass on 
you know, the idea of Herbig moving over to center for really any significant amount of time. He didn't play a lot of snaps there even before the Steelers signed him. So I always kind of thought his position flexibility factor was a bit overrated. And, you know, I don't know that what we saw from him in camp was, was great in that regard. They drafted Spencer Anderson in the seventh round because he's another guy who could be fairly versatile up and down the line. So he's around, but center is, you know, probably the least of his uh, positions when it comes to experience. So, no, I, I don't think Herbig would, would even be really much of a stopgap solution there. I think he's just somebody who could do it in a pinch. And, you know, they they had him as the sort of de facto backup to all three interior positions. But I'm, I'm looking for a guy that I can, you know, insert there at center for years to come the way it was supposed to go with Kendrick Green. And, you know, I also thought they, they could have entertained that idea last year in the draft, maybe get somebody to pair with. Kenny Pickett uh, for the next decade. Of course, now I'm I'm much less certain that Kenny Pickett will be around here for for a whole lot longer. But still, uh, it's it's good to have a foundational center, somebody that you can um, you know learn and, and progress and grow with. We know that all the greatest Steelers teams over uh, the history of time have had that guy. It's a position where the lineage is strong, and I like Mason Cole personally. I think he's been okay but it's, it's probably time to try to get better at that spot. Yeah, especially at, at the cap number. Um, the last pick in this PFF draft, it was it was a five-rounder, and we don't I'll also say, it just miss me with the moving Isaac Sayamalo and James Daniels to center stuff. I know they've done it in the past. How long ago now were these guys in college? They've established themselves as NFL guards. They're, they're, not, they're not trying to go back to the uh, wear many hats and more you can do. No, they've made their money. They want to be where they're most comfortable. It's not going to happen here. No, I, I think you've got to acquire someone with intent there, um, for sure. Yeah, that, that's always like a sort of a, a thing that gets thrown out to us by readers and viewers. Like, well, if you look back at Oregon State and, and Iowa, Isaac Sayamalo and James Daniels can play center. I'm like, good research. I get it. That that would be cool in, in Madden where, you know, they go from an 84 to an 82 and it makes your overall line rating better. But those those aren't realistic options here now in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I just wonder. I, I think the the what's your backup plan? You know, after the Kendrick Green experiment, I think it's natural for people to have that question as well. So I just figured I'd throw it out there for you. Um, the last pick in this PFF draft, Brian, was uh, Ricky Pearsall from Florida. He averaged nearly 15 yards a catch, so he showed he could do uh, he could make some plays. Um, did not have huge numbers. Uh, so given the Arthur Smith hiring, is, is, is that what you're looking at in terms of receivers or guys who can maybe make an explosive play every once in a while who could be useful, but um, maybe less so on, on you know, a premium talent that, that may not get used as, as much as, as the draft capital used to get him would suggest? Yeah, I'm looking at day three, probably trying to find a good value at, at wide receiver. And I think that's not unreasonable to, to think of in this draft. Seems like it's very deep at that position. And, you know, that's something we're saying every year because of the quality of receivers who come up now through the high school ranks into the college ranks. Your best athletes are usually out there seven on seven. They're polished, they're refined, they're running NFL route trees in college a lot of the times. So then they get here and they're ready to hit the ground running. I, I wouldn't uh, feel the need to overdraft one and, you know, on round uh, two or three, certainly not. The first round, if you do that, George Pickens might have an aneurysm. So 
Um, you know, I like Ricky Pearsall a lot. I, I'm not going to pretend that I've crunched a ton of Florida or SEC film, but I am in a college fantasy football league and I had him on my team, was very happy with that pick. And I would occasionally uh, watch some of his games and, and catch some highlights. Uh, he could be a slot guy, but he also did make big plays. There's a uh, clip of him making a one-handed catch, just, you know, type Ricky Pearsall, probably catch into YouTube or something. It'll pop right up at one of the better uh, receptions I saw all last season, college or pro. Uh, and it's not like he had a, a stud throwing him the football down in Gainesville. So really like Ricky Pearsall, but he's somebody who who might just kind of keep creeping up uh, the, the draft evaluators boards as he shows out at these all-star games. And, you know, if he tests well athletically, but generally that's the range of guys that I think will be the best fit value wise for the Steelers is these, um, you know, not the biggest, not the fastest, not the most production, but can probably help you next year as a third or fourth receiver and won't command a ton of attention away from the Pickens Deontay Johnson pairing. Yeah, I think you'd like a guy who's really good at at like one or two things. And he's not he's not the finished product. You're not going to use him every down, but but he can do certain things. And I think you know showing playmaking ability down the field is definitely important, especially if you're in kind of more of a bit player role. Yeah, a more dynamic, cheaper Allen Robinson or a, a yes, a bigger, um, you know, stronger Calvin Austin third. I diversify your portfolio at at wide receiver Steelers. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the the Allen Robinson template is is how can you improve upon that and and I think the dynamic we we saw the dynamic part of of his his tool chest is no longer there um, and and I think you you want to have a guy that has that ability but that you're not necessarily counting on on an every down basis. Brian, I'll get you out of here on this. Did did anyone stand out to you at the the Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl this week in in your reading, in your you know clips you might have digested on on Twitter.com or whatever they're calling it these days? Um, any names that, that, that we hadn't talked about already that, that you felt like you'd like to mention? Yeah, I mean, I guess sticking with the receivers, because I think there are going to be so many intriguing ones and at various levels of where the Steelers might look to take one. Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky. I mean, he's he's in this like yak god mode of, of guy who's you know really stout, really difficult to bring down. Probably the funnest highlight tape to watch of, of really any Anybody who was down in, in Mobile, if you plug his name into the old Google machine. And then uh, just sort of a under-the-radar possible late-round guy. Oh, and I'll also mention Roman Wilson from Michigan. It seemed like he was uh, really standing out in the senior bowl practices. And he was also a, an alum of the Brian Badco college, basketball, uh, college football fantasy team. Uh, he was productive, too, in a run-first offense. But it seemed like every time they needed to make a play through the air, J.J. McCarthy could find Roman Wilson, but it's actually his teammate Cornelius Johnson at Michigan does not get a lot of buzz. Wasn't invited to the senior bowl, but did go to the East West shrine game. Not sure if he did anything in the game itself. Um, but you know, that's a small sample size, read some things that he was looking good in practice and he's a bigger body. He's like a six, two, six, three, kind of your classic outside receiver. If you're looking to replace uh, a Miles Boykin on your Steelers roster and get younger there, somebody who's willing to play some special teams and maybe has some upside, Cornelius Johnson from Michigan. Uh, he made some plays over the years in Ann Arbor. And a fun fact, he's got uh, family from the Pittsburgh area, the Hill District specifically, um, you know, distant, distant relatives. So that would be a fun story if that would come to pass. 
We always love those Pittsburgh connections, Brian. I also want to tease, uh, Ray Fittipaldo had a nice little anecdote about Roman Wilson on the Friday edition of the North Shore Drive. I'm not going to give it to you here. Go watch that video. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting. Definitely had some interaction with Mike Tomlin. So uh, he's on the radar, whether the Steelers pick him or not would remain to be seen. Um, Brian, thank you so much for joining me this week. If you enjoyed this video, please like it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. algorithm. We always appreciate that. Please subscribe to the channel. We're going to have plenty more draft talk coming your way. Um, in, in the coming weeks, free agency is is not too far away. So we'll be breaking down every move that the Steelers make uh, before the draft. So uh, the off season's really heating up. A lot to talk about. Not quite as much as during the season, but you know we're not going anywhere. We're going to try to do Steelers uh, six days a week here. So so make sure you're subscribed. Um, and I'll be back next week with with Paul Zeiss on Thursday talking Steelers. Brian, you'll be on the North Shore Drive, I'm sure, with with Chris at some point, right? Yeah, probably. I'll talk to you guys then. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.